Welcome to Talking Out Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And folks, I'm sorry, Greg isn't here today. Greg was on a big vacation, a lot of travel, and he is under the weather. And I just checked my phone. He's turned off his notifications on me. So I think it's, uh, I think he's gone back to bed. So dude, uh, I hope you feel better and we will talk to you later. So folks, uh, you've dropped in on our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today we're going to return to our TNR 2.0 interview sessions. In a few moments, I'm going to introduce Carmen Bukma. So let's set this up. Greg and I have been friends for a long time, and I think we're still friends, although he's been away. But if I have to confess, we've been talking on text the whole time, so keeping in touch. So we've both been managers or leaders for a long period of time. We've both benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. We've been hosting this podcast series since July 5th of 2020, dealing with how we and others have missed the mark. And we've always called this podcast the struggle to be a good manager, as it has been a struggle at times. As we work through this podcast, we realize there might be topics, struggles, or experiences that aren't our own, and that we should welcome others to the table at the diner, where this all started about three years ago. So this is a chance where we get to learn and grow from others' experience of being managed and managing other people. Great experiences which helped us, and maybe those less than great experiences, which we also learn from. And this is also a chance that we get to talk to folks who are doing great work to make our society a better place. And with everything else that we touch, we want it to be a good, healthy conversation. So welcome. Carmen, how are you? Hey, it is so good to be with you, Alistair. Thanks so much for letting me come. I'm doing really well, thanks. You've been on vacation, so you're relaxed? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it takes a while to decompress and then ramp back up. So I feel like I'm back in the ramped up stage, but I'm doing well. Did you go to work today? I did. Okay. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little bit about Carmen before we get going. So she is currently serving as the senior pastor of the Meeting House, which is a multi-site church based in Oakville. She's married to Ben, who I have not met, and she has three kids, Ellie, Zeke, and Silas. She's passionate about helping other uh, people discover and understand more about their faith, and nothing energizes her more than working alongside and leading teams of people. And that's something I resonate with. I've always mm -hmm. uh, benefited from really close partnerships or working in small teams, getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. When she isn't working, she enjoys playing ultimate Frisbee. I don't, I got to say, I don't know what that is. Hiking, playing games with her kids and finding things that make her laugh. And I'm all about finding things that make me laugh because I think sometimes we need that. Don't we ever. More <laughs> of that. More of that. More of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Uh, uh, when we were developing this, this podcast, uh, Greg was uh, counseling me on a uh, workplace transition. And quite frankly, we either had to do this podcast or start doing some stand up. And neither of us stay up that late because apparently you have to stay up really late in the in the uh, comedy world to get a spot on a stage. And, you know, if you're not known, that could be two or three in the morning and that just can't happen for us. So uh, podcast it was then, hey, podcast it was we can plan our own time. That's right. <laughs> you know, I think I think there's maybe two people in, in Staples studio right now. And these people are getting used to us. And every once in a while, they come by and nod. So uh, and we're only here maybe once a week. So it's it's pretty good. So um, we were talking about who to invite and your name came up because we've talked to a lot of people, um, senior police officers, uh, consultants, half of Greg's, uh, partnership group because they all write books. I think there's been three or four of them in here so far, mm -hmm. but we've also, you know, we've talked about a wide variety of people. We talked to a millennial, we found mm -hmm. a millennial and talked to them. And then, uh, the idea, um, your name came up because in the church environment, you, of course, are a pastor, mm -hmm. but if you look at all the groups of people that you interact with, 
So other pastors, Mm -hmm. staff, people above you, overseers or executive, whatever you call them in the church. And as well, I think probably 95% of the people you deal with are either volunteers or people that just show up. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when we were talking about uh, management and leading people, you know, that's really different than some companies like, you know, highest number of people I've ever looked after is 28. Mm. And uh, I don't know how many people are kind of signed on to the meeting house right now. It's in the thousands. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, you know, we've got all these other aspects. Let's bring in a nonprofit religious organization. Somebody can speak to some of these things because I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned, uh, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's just another really healthy uh, thing to talk about another way of approaching it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's some some similarities for sure, whether you're in the corporate world or the nonprofit world, but there absolutely are some differences. And it'll be fun to kind of chat a little bit about maybe what those are. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go to the first question. And usually I give this to Greg, but he's not here. <laughs> so if you could share experiences that uh, you've had that positively helped you grow as a, a leader of a team or as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um I feel like I just want to give the disclaimer right off the top that everything I say feels like it's so such common knowledge. And I have to remind myself that A, maybe it's not, but B, if you're listening and it is, that's probably a really good reinforcement that there are some basic principles to leading and managing. Um, and I think the things that have contributed to the experiences, I think back over my experiences of being a team member and a leader, uh, there's a few key words that stand out. Consistency is one of them authenticity is another, and shared experience. And when you put those things together, that can be expressed in all kinds of ways. But when you put those things together, often it results in a a positive work environment or a positive team environment. I think back of the teams I'm in, have been in, and the ones where there are marked, memorable experiences that have bonded us and moved us closer together are when there's been a shared experience. Sometimes as the leader of that, you have to cultivate that. Um, depending on the context that you find yourself in, it happens naturally. And this is where that nonprofit piece comes in. As I lead a church, one of the unique differences, I think, is that while the team I may be leading or participating in may be smaller in number, five people, 12 people, whatever, the scope of the people we're actually impacting is so large, and that becomes our shared experience. And that becomes the filter through which we make decisions and through which we have experiences together. Um, Shared experiences as a team, I think, are so important for building trust because when you have a shared experience, uh, there are barriers that just dissolve that you don't even realize you've put up. And so if you're listening and you're thinking about this from the angle of being a manager or being a leader, an inventory piece you always want to be considering is what shared experiences am I providing for the team I'm a part of? Married very closely with that, though, you can't really have one without the other, is that consistency and authenticity piece. Consistency, I think, is like this underrated value of leadership. I think it gets a bad rap because maybe it's boring. Maybe it's not as shiny. I have not yet read a leadership book. I'm sure they're out there with the word consistency in the title. But there is something to be said for the faithful, steady, consistent presence of the person who's leading you. And that has been so powerful to me in pretty much every experience I've had of being led. The person that was present, consistent, and uh, steady, I often learned more from them. And the experience of me being on a team was more positive. And that as I've stepped into leadership roles of managing others, that's a question I'm always asking myself, saying, am I being consistent and present 
and steady with the people I'm leading. And then I said authenticity, and we all know what that word means. And that is maybe more of a buzzword that we could find a few books on. We could find a few articles on. But to do the work of saying, what does it actually mean to be authentic as a person? And then cultivate that within the team. Those are the things that have led to positive experiences for me in both being on a team and leading a team. Yeah, I find uh, those joint experiences, common experiences, in probably all the places that I've worked, uh, that's not been a problem, uh, just in the types of industries that I've been in. But that uh, consistency, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I think that's something people struggle with because they don't keep it top of mind. They don't totally. understand how, imp- uh, how important it is. And uh, I was explaining to somebody, I don't know, weeks ago, months ago, whenever it was, I was having a conversation. I said, listen, people expect rules and expectations and they don't like it, but they, and they will challenge it, but there's chaos if it doesn't exist. And that mm-hmm. consistency and applying those things is just so important and, and consistency and turning up and the authenticity... That's something um, I, I have heard the buzzword, mm-hmm. but I don't think people give a lot of serious thought to it. Like mm-hmm. you can't say one thing and do another. Absolutely. P- people watch what you do. They don't yep. care what you say. Yep. They watch what you do. And if they see anything different, uh, you lose uh uh, people will lose confidence in you. They don't identify with you and say, oh, it's just another boss. I'm going to I'm gonna wait till the next boss comes by. Absolutely. And then you see when that happens, you've actually also lost consistency because you you haven't been the person you said you were going to be. The consistency is gone from that as well. It's funny, you know, sometimes uh, uh, I've moved around a lot, done a bunch of different things, and you end up on, on a new team and the, you know, whoever is putting you there goes, do you want to say a few words? I say as few words as possible because it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what I say mm-hmm. when we meet. It's what I do. And it's that consistency. And people go, oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. He's always going to do that. He's always going to react a certain way. And it's just better. It's it's that, you know, you do life together. You're at work like so much of your of your day, right? And if you have somebody that's all over the place, it's not an enjoyable experience. Mm-mm. It really is Totally. Isn't. Well, and I think, and this is like, okay, you said I'm a mom. I'm a mom. So that lens is always there for me too. And I think about the times when things seem to be going like sideways with my kids and when I think back, of like, whoa, what has changed? What's gone on? Probably it's because their structure or their routine has been thrown out the window for whatever reason, maybe really fun reasons, but it tends to have an effect on kids. And I'm in no way equating that we're dealing with children, but the value of consistency, you can't always measure it. It's not always quantifiable. It isn't a KPI that we often look to, but it's that undergirding that like actually is creating a safety and a trust that if you pay attention to uh, is, is a, you, you can't really put, you can't really measure the value of it. And yes, we're not dealing about kids, but kids have to go to bed at the same time. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly. They have to. Exactly. So anybody that you've had manage you or bring you or brought you along, what did they contribute to the environment that, that helped you in your development? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. A few kind of examples have come to mind for me. Um, one is I think back to when I was um, I was a pastor at another church, but I was leading a smaller segment of the ministry. And one of the things that stood out to me, and this, I mean, it's it's going to sound like I'm beating the same drum over and over, but one of the pieces that was a known entity for me in my boss, in the one leading me, was a sense of I knew what I was getting. And every Tuesday, we had a staff meeting, which is a no-brainer. Of course, you pull your team together, you have a staff meeting. And But I would say this was when I'm, I was younger. I was in my uh, mid-20s, and it was a formative time for me in understanding management and leadership. And there were many Tuesday mornings that in my head, I said, I don't have time for this. Doesn't he know how busy my day is? My rhythm, based compared to the rest of the staff I was with, I had things in the evening. The, I was working with students at the time, and I thought, this is my busiest day. 
it would really be helpful if I could opt out of these times. But it was that under, uh, like that, that piece you can't measure of what I gained and how I grew because of that block of time that was a non-negotiable. And I, I did chat with him and be like, hey, this is a busy day for me. Are you okay? And it was like, nope, this is a value that we are holding to. And so this sense of um, someone leading me or someone managing me that made it very clear what the values were and how to best operate within the system of uh, working together within those values created a safety and created a growth trajectory for me that like I didn't even know was happening. It's like when you watch a... Um, a plant grow. You cannot see it grow unless you time lapse the thing with your iPhone. But it's happening. And it's those pieces that were so positive and powerful for me. And then the other thing I'd say is, as, as uh, my boss and I did uh, uh, intentional check-ins, is, which is a kind of obviously a key part of what you do when you're working alongside someone, is the pointed questions I knew he was going to ask me that I couldn't skirt around if I wanted to. And I started to expect them. And I sometimes would have to like prepare myself for, I got to be honest and upfront because I know he's going to ask this or that. And those pieces were really important for my development and being able to trust someone with pretty sacred pieces of information about who I was as a person, as a leader, my character, my integrity, and how I was doing as a pastor. Um, So I found that as I think back over some experiences of being led really well, he comes to mind because of those pieces. And it must have been difficult because so much of the effort would have been focused on a Sunday morning experience mm-hmm. where your experience, I think it was youth you were looking yep. after, yep. is, you know, there might be a little bit of a Sunday morning component, but your thing is during the week. Absolutely. When, when the students come in and, and they have their activities and, and, and meetings and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. And it, in, in that way, it was interesting, right? Because it felt a little like I was on a context of a team with a shared goal, but I, I often felt like I don't quite fit, like they don't quite get it. And I, I, again, being younger in my leadership days, often would have these little pity parties for myself. But the, but the, um, the gentle firmness with which I was invited into a value system helped me to see that, no, this is actually good for me. And I don't actually get excused from the work of uh, building team together or working towards the Sunday experience, even though my role looked a little different. And that, that was uh, something that was very formative for me in those early years of leadership, for sure. Uh, that that Tuesday morning regular rhythm of mm-hmm. of having a management meeting, a supervision meeting, whatever you want to call it, that really resonates with me because uh, you know coming from a paramilitary organization and then a, an enforcement kind of based organization, I appreciated that. And you know, knowing the questions my bosses were going to ask me, like I knew, like after mm-hmm. two times, like you know how 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 it's going to play out. But uh, I remember there's a, a period of time when I didn't have those, and mm-hmm. it was like scary. So. I ended up creating uh, an email template mm. and sending it every week because I wanted to be held accountable for what yeah. I was doing, right? And, and you know, people go, oh, no, good, we don't have any of these meetings. That's a scary place to be because it you is. really do need it. You, you want to be part of the team, but you also need that accountability. I think, you know, people go, oh, I don't really want to check in with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know what? Deep down, you need it. You do. You absolutely do. Whether you think you do or you don't, it is those things. Again, that plant analogy of like, you can't see that it's helping shape you. But it is, and it's shaping you one way or the other. So you get to be the one to choose into which way are you formed and shaped by the the values that are placed around you. I think that's so transferable too. It doesn't matter, you know, who you work for if you're listening mm-hmm. or if you're in between jobs or, or you're working by yourself. Like uh, I did a bunch of contract work last year because I'd retired 
And it's really difficult when you're not accountable. To, like you're just accountable for a project at the end of something. Like mm-hmm. there's nobody, did you get up or you're working? Like you just need to produce something by a certain time and they don't mm-hmm. care how you got there. It, it's a scary thing, especially if you're not used to it. Totally. And Alistair, I just want to say like in the vein of this question to like contributing to the environment, another piece that I think is so important is being known. And I was known. I was known by the person managing me. And we had the benefit of a smaller work team. But that went a long way because it let it contributed to a lot of things. It contributed to empowerment. Because I was known, I was given a, a wider berth to try things out, to expand my giftings. Um, it allowed my boss to ask me specific questions. It affirmed what I was good at and areas of growth that I still needed. And I think that as we talk about what does it mean to manage well and lead well, there is a responsibility on the manager or on the leader to do the hard work of knowing your team. And this is this is one of those areas I think that we sometimes want to cut corners because we think like, well, they're just here to do their job. This is what they got to do. And as long as I keep them accountable to this, yeah, you're right. You're right. There's the checklist of is are they producing what they are supposed to produce? But when you know the people you're leading, it changes how you can equip them affirm them and develop them beyond what the job description is on the piece of paper that they hold for their role. I think that's a really significant point. And how else do you create trust unless you know these people and you know what they're good at, you know what maybe they need to work on and you know what they'll do in a certain situation. If you don't know them, how do you really create trust? Absolutely. For sure. And you know, you look at it like the, the relationship bank and you're building equity in the relationship bank. And it's like little things that maybe in and of themselves are relatively insignificant And for high-functioning, high-capacity people who have busy calendars, those are the things that maybe can feel like, I don't really have time for that coffee or that encouragement note or whatever it is. But those things build up and um, they they create a solid foundation of trust, authenticity, and consistency that you don't see the results of until the fruit's already there. That's cool. That's Mm -hmm. cool. And these are such basic things. And I, I agree with you 100% especially in this environment right now where so many people are working at home, we're cutting corners. Totally. And like, how, how do you, how do you get to know somebody on Slack or on a text mm-hmm. or whatever system you're using teams, whatever it is, how do you truly get to know people? Mm-hmm. It's hard. It absolutely is. You have to be deliberate. Yeah. And you said that word, I think earlier yeah. that you have to be deliberate. And I think as a manager, I mean, many managers also do something besides just manage people, but I don't think you can cut corners on this understanding who people are. They understand you. How else are you going to build that trust, be able to do things? And like, I want people, if they mess up, to come and tell me, listen, Mm -hmm. we have a problem. This is what happened. Uh, This is how it's kind of falling out. You know, I don't want to read about it in the Toronto Star tomorrow. I don't want I don't want my boss telling me because somehow it's worked its way around the organization, right? And I I think, you know, that deliberate uh, approach to things, to people, and plus people have value. Mm -hmm. Like they're more Mm -hmm. than, than the person that makes the widget. Absolutely. Yeah. We're all like a comprehensive mix of all the things that make us who we are. I don't know how many co- times I've had conversations and people go, well, this person does that. So yeah, but you know what? We got a bunch of people sitting around that room mm-hmm. that have interests mm-hmm. and other skills. They're just here right now. But do we really know where they've been and what they've done? Yep. You don't know what talents are sitting there. Absolutely. And the more you know people, the more that the shared experiences you cultivate become significant. Absolutely. So were there some experiences that weren't as enabling that challenged you that you learned from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I could take, uh, I don't know, this is a trickier one, right? Because it's like, are any of my former bosses going to listen to this? But <laughs> we usually go by a no-name basis and we, yeah. we, we, we make the, uh, the, uh, the details a little bit vague so that, so nobody knows for sure. That's how I've approached this there because I t- I t- the negative experience is a, a severe learning curve sometimes. It, it, is, it is helpful in our experience. Like so often people go, oh, this is what was good. This was good. No, no. Sometimes there's some challenging situations that happen out there and you learn really quick. Absolutely. And I say that in jest, actually. I don't I don't hold any sensitivities because I'll share a few. One of them is a miss I think I've made in leadership over the years. The, the biggest area, I think I could like summarize all of it into the one category of I don't even know what word I would use. Um, like, I guess, inauthenticity. And I know it sounds like I'm beating the same drum, but like people can sniff out. Uh, inauthentic- is inauthenticity even a word? I might be making up a word here, people. A facade. There you go. They can <laughs> sniff that out really quickly. And I think what has made that a poor experience, that in and of itself isn't a great characteristic of someone you want to be under. Uh, you don't want that in your manager. But the reason, at least in my experience, based on how I'm, my personality is wired, is it causes self-doubt in myself. And that's what made has made it a really negative experience. And I've had that in, in various places you know, on small scales, maybe in larger scales, where maybe I've asked a question or questioned something and said, this doesn't seem right, or you're holding something back and it's not allowing me to do my job and have been told, like dismissed in a sense of like, no, 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 that's either not for you to worry about. You don't have that pulse. You don't have the right pulse on that. Just kind of get back to doing what you need to do. And while that in and of itself isn't a great characteristic, what it's done for me is made me like sit back and think, am I, am I missing something? Am I, am I being petty? Am I being uh, feeling over-entitled to something I shouldn't have? And I've now, you know, been in management leadership roles for like almost two decades. I'm learning, no, there's something to that. And you can sort of trust your gut and realize what you've experienced in those circumstances is someone who isn't being as authentic as they could be and not trusting the people they're leading enough. It's their prerogative as the leader to choose how much they want to trust you with. But it certainly makes a difference when they withhold information that maybe would be helpful or don't don't empower you to do stuff that maybe is beyond the scope of your role. And it's those experiences. like So that's a bit more of a general uh, example, but it's been those experiences in various roles that have left me questioning, um, is something wrong with me? Am I missing the mark? Maybe I am not as good as I thought. But 99% of the time, my assessment actually was bang on. And as you, you know, in, in hindsight, you realize. Yeah, I think that translates to me as there's been a few times where I'm walking around and going, there's been some conversations. Have I missed a meeting? Mm-hmm. Like, am I, have I not been trusted with something? Mm-hmm. Like, how am I supposed to make a decision mm-hmm. if somebody's holding on to information? Absolutely. And then you go, do they not trust me? Yep. Am I not on the inner crew on this? Like, this is my issue. And yet mm-hmm. there's obviously people talking about the decision that needs to be made. And I'm not part of those decisions. I think that's come up in a, in a whole bunch of talks between Greg and I about how many times you walk around going, did I miss a meeting? Totally. And is that not such a disorienting feeling? It doesn't feel good. And again, in and of themselves, yeah, maybe one time it's okay. But when you stack those up on top of each other, that's not the feeling you want your people to have that are working with and for you. That isn't creating the words I said earlier, which I don't need to keep repeating because, you know, same drum. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I had a boss that would say, listen, I know you're dealing with this. There's a little piece over here and I can't tell you what's going on with it. Exactly. There's, there's discussions going on 
and it's a little fluid right now. Mm -hmm. As soon as I have something to mm -hmm. give you, I'm going to share it with you. But just let you know, I'm not hiding anything. It's There's something being worked out that involves a bunch of other people and a bunch of other sections or whatever. And when it comes to fruition, as soon as I can tell you this stuff, I'm going to let you know. And isn't that such a difference? Subtle shift makes the world of difference in what your your team will be experiencing. Absolutely. Now, I said I would also give an example of maybe where I have missed the mark as I've led other people. So I want to... That's where the money is. That's where the money is. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just as I was reflecting on this question, I think, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit later as you ask a few more questions about understanding your own leadership style. I fully admit, and this is a growth area for me, it's something I'm always taking inventory in myself, is I am likely a bit of an absentee manager. And that's like actually a category. And, you know, that doesn't, I don't walk around self-deprecating like, what was me? This is me. But it's something to pay attention to. And I think there have been times, I know there have been times where I've probably been more absentee with the teams I've led than I should be. Not because I'm sitting at home being lazy, but because I have filled my calendar with the wrong things. And there's always been a reason. I've always been able to justify it with actually a good and true reason. And there's always been understanding from the team I've even led. But when that happens often enough for a season or you just get into a habit of like, it's actually easier if I cancel those meetings because they're so busy and work on this because it's more interesting. Over time, that measures up to a distance between you and the people you're trying to lead. The, the times we did check in started to feel a little more transactional, a little more like, just tell me what you're working on. Okay, that's fine. And you start to miss the richness of uh, a safe, trusting work relationship. And so I fully admit there have been times I've missed the mark and I've had to own that at times. Thankfully, the team teams I've led have been gracious and we work together and we grow. But absolutely, that's a growth area for me is wanting to be present more. And because that's not like my default, I got to work at it a little bit more. Yeah, I think if Greg was here, he would uh, characterize this as the meeting, coming together, mm -hmm. having these conversations. And, you know, sometimes you talk about nothing, but you're together. Yeah. I think... Uh, uh, I have uh, a similar problem, problem approach. Okay, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm of uh, kind of the, maybe it's an aging stage thing, but uh, I assume you're doing your job and I trust you to do your job. And, you know, the other side of that is if it's going sideways, I want to know about it. Yep. But if you don't spend a lot of time with people and they don't understand that that's the way you're operating and that... Um, so I don't, I don't know if I'm an absentee. I think I'm an overly trusting person yeah. that I just assume you're doing your job Absolutely. and then we're going to, if you're not later on, if there's a problem, you're going to come to me or I find out you're not doing the job, then there's going to be a discussion. We're going to deal with that and have a closer relationship for a little while. But I think that's my default problem mm -hmm. is, is that, uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've taken over a team and people go, what do you want? I said, just do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. We'll get around mm -hmm. to, do we have to change anything? Are there new people that need to come in or whatever? And I think that's my, cause I'm, I'm probably like you. I just like to go off and do my own thing. Yeah, totally. And I love the people I work with, but I'm very similar to you. Actually, the way you articulated that is very, very true. It's actually coming from a trusting place of like, I trust you. We pay you to do the job because you're the one that's good at your job. I don't need to hold your hand as you do it. I don't want to do the job. Absolutely. <laughs> but, and that is, and I want people to hear too, like that isn't actually the worst thing in the world. It's a leadership style. It doesn't, it might be a different style. That's okay, but you got to pay attention because then you do get to the point where when there's a problem, you probably could have solved that problem a bit sooner like if you'd been more, a little more present with, and in the mix. With less fallout. Yeah, right? So it's it's important to pay attention to that as well. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. So how has your personal journey influenced your leadership journey and thoughts about 
leadership as a whole. Yeah, that's that's a really, I mean, how much time do we have? But I, I have thought about it a I think we're bit. rented for 60 minutes, yeah. but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the biggest thing I want to say about this is uh, my personal journey. When I think, when I hear those words, I think of a few things. Um, I feel like personally, I've been afforded a lot of uh, really beautiful opportunities and I have to give credit to that. I've had mentors in my life since I was a teenager. I've had people call things out of me at a young age to say, we see this in you. We want to give you an opportunity to try this. And that's been really significant. And as I think, so as I think about what does that mean for leadership, the first thing I'd say is uh, all of us, whether we see ourselves as a leader or a manager or not, words of affirmation and being intentional with the people that are behind you, younger than you, whatever your context is, go far further than you probably even could, could give credit to. Uh, and that's been my story of leadership. I am in leadership because of the things that were spoken to me when I was 12. Uh, and over time and the mentors that were there and the people that trusted me with things that were far too big for my britches. I had no business doing some of the things I was doing. And did I do them awesome? Probably not. But that's okay. Be, I was encouraged along the way. So that's one thing. The other thing I'd say about my personal journey is, um, th and this is for every person, every human, coming to know yourself more and more. And that has played a very significant role in my leadership specifically. You know, we, I think back to when I started in full-time ministry, so, uh, you know, church leadership. I was 26. And the stuff I know now, like, and this is just growing up, but the stuff you know now versus then, you realize what you would have done differently. And so that isn't, that isn't to point out, like, you lament that, but you take from that the truth that there are always things to be learning. And as you discover more of yourself, it shapes how you lead. And so I can give you, like, I can give you tons of examples of this, but as I just think about... Um, myself, based on my personality and how I'm wired, particularly when I was in my earlier years of leadership and managing of other people, I had this propensity, I still do, it's part of my personality to accommodate. I want to accommodate the people that I'm that are on my team. I want to make it feel good for them. I don't want to put them out, so to speak, or inconvenience them in any way. Uh, but often what that would lead to is I would hold way more than I probably should have as a leader. And it probably, I thought I was doing the team I was leading a favor, but what I was probably doing was limiting their ability to try new things, grow, be stretched. And what I've come to realize is I may never outgrow that part of my personality, that propensity to want to accommodate, but at least I see it for what it is and I don't want it to become a barrier in my leadership. So I have to just see it and be like, okay, there's that. I'm going to lean into the discomfort of realizing, oh, I don't, I feel like I'm being inaccommodating and realize that might not actually be true. And so as we come to learn ourselves more and more, we can use that to allow us to lead better and better. Uh, but that comes with self-awareness and it comes with self-care and development. We are stewards of who we are as people and what we can do with the stewarding of who we are is allow it to cultivate a leadership that is richer and deeper uh, than it probably was years ago for myself and for anyone else. Greg should be here. He's written a book and he talks <laughs> about this stuff all the time. But there's a couple things that really resonated with what you just said. The first one is, is uh, people giving you an opportunity. So because of my relationship with the denomination, mm -hmm. I went and worked in a group home for four years, which led me to university, which mm -hmm. led me to the police. But, you know, somebody, you know, I left the police after about, 21, 22 years, I had another opportunity. People go, oh, you didn't like it there. I said, no, I loved it there. I, said, I got to do things. I got people 
gave me opportunities sometimes before I was probably ready. And people, you know, um, were encouraging uh, and pushed me along and gave me opportunities. And I go like, I value that. Like, mm-hmm. and moving around and getting, you know, not getting into ruts and things like that. And I, those people that pushed me and said, no, no, you should go over there now and do that. You should go work with these people. That is so impactful on, on younger people when people are earlier on in their careers that, you know, you do kind of pay it back mm-hmm. and give people those opportunities because I benefited from that. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I just think it's so important. And, uh, uh, Anytime I talk to anybody that's had a good experience somewhere, it's because people spoke into them, gave them opportunities, sometimes gave them a kick in the butt and said, right. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Don't hang out over there. Mm-hmm. You need to go over here. And it doesn't look like it's the best place. It's the, you know, the cool place mm-hmm. to be. But guess what? You're going to learn how to do a lot of things. And that's self-awareness. That's hard. And I think we've probably all worked for people and go, they cannot read the room. Mm-hmm. They, they, they have no self-awareness of what they're doing. And, uh, uh, there's been a bunch of leaders in my life, um, in a bunch of different parts of my life where it's like, wow, that person, like they came in and said, I'm sorry, I made the wrong decision. I gave you the wrong task. Okay. Let's try to figure out how to, how Mm. to solve this. And, and people that were authentic and, uh, were aware that, uh, of how, what their presence was on the team. And, and one of the closest, uh, one of the best leaders I ever had we had almost a zero personal relationship, but the person was present they were clear and, uh, you know, they pushed where they had to push, ask questions and, uh, they knew the business way better than I, but I really appreciate that they were self-aware of their influence on the group, their attitudes, their knowledge, and yet they still figured out a way to bring people along and, and create a team that was really, really good. It, it only lasted for about a year and a half, and then I think that person left. But I just love people that are self-aware and understand mm-hmm. the influence that they have on any situation and could read the room. So many people, I'm sitting there going like, dude, can you not read the room? Yeah. This is not going well. Totally. You know, like, now now we're going to get into resist active resistance to what you want to do, let alone you know just ignoring it. Well, and I, to that point, I think, or continuing in that point, Often, in a lot of circumstances, um, leadership is tied to a role or a title. And I think we like sit back on our haunches sometimes because of that role and that title. Because like using the example of like maybe being accommodating, maybe not handing enough things out. Uh, no one came to me and said, Carmen, you, you don't get this job anymore. I'm not going to follow you because you're doing too much and you're not giving me enough to do. But And so I could coast on the title I've been given or the position I've been given, you know, with obvious exceptions. But if I manage well and carry forward and things are still being produced, I still get to hold the position of leadership I've been given. But it's such a big change when there's an awareness of who I am. It creates a richer experience of leadership and it creates a depth and a potential that likely will not be tapped if your perspective is I'm leading because of the role I have or I'm leading because of the title I have. All that is is like the starting point for what we get to steward as leaders to say, because of this role, how do I do this job the best I possibly can? And being aware of who you are, the barriers that are going to get in the way, and the things you still need to learn are what are going to make that experience rich for those that you're leading. I sometimes think the best leaders are the ones that don't want it. Totally. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) They're always looking for ways to get out of it, but they... I don't want to be in charge. (laughs) Yeah. I I have said that a couple of (laughs) times. Uh. Where do you find yourself right now? What's the struggles right now? Yeah, that's that's really timely. The context that I find myself leading in is actually leading through a pretty significant crisis. Uh, our church is going through some 
pretty significant uh, changes and crisis, and we're no, by no means through it. So that's where I find myself. Uh, and you marry that like big ball of crisis with a continual pressure of uh, the COVID circumstances that we find ourselves. And for the church world, COVID alone changed the game entirely, not just for our church, but churches in general. Uh, we're all of a sudden faced with asking really big questions about the future of church, how to engage with people in their communities. And so we were already in lots of conversation, which is really fun and really exciting, but big and different. And then plopped on top of that, our, our specific church is going through a pretty significant series of crisis. So that's the circumstance I find myself in. And as reflecting on your question here, the thing that I think I'm trying to take from this uh, very tenuous season of leadership is separating uh, the current reality of crisis with the kind of leader I want to be. Because so often uh, in situations that are tricky or tenuous or downright awful, we find that we become reactive leaders, maybe out of necessity because things are moving at a pace that you just can't humanly keep up with other than using your wisdom and your giftings to react and respond to what's been put in front of you. And so that's part of it. If that's your situation right now, don't shoot yourself, you know, don't beat yourself up for um, feeling badly about reactive. But I, I always think healthy leaders are ones that can stay ahead of uh, reaction and lead out of intention. And so what a question I have, and I said this to my team prior to like the immediate crisis we're in and more related to COVID, something I said to my team a number of times as we were just waiting through like, how do we do this, is when we get through this, whenever COVID is over, what do we want people to be saying about how we led them? And I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves as leaders often is, at the end of this all, what do we hope people are saying about us or about the company or about the circumstance? And that allows you to kind of separate the current challenge of the day or the week or the month with what are the higher level principles and values that I can still strive for as a leader regardless of this. And so uh, using this, uh, using COVID, we'll use COVID as an example. Some of the things I hope people say about me as a pastor and us as a church are things like, even though we couldn't meet, I felt known by my pastor. Um, even though uh, we had to meet online, I felt like there were ways for my family to connect with other families. Whatever those things are, everyone, obviously everyone's leadership experience is different. The current crisis we're in, some of the things I'm hoping people hear are in the midst of crisis, uh, our leaders were present, as honest as they could be, and pointed us to Jesus as a person of faith. That is a basic goal that we always have is it's not actually about us. We're, we're pointing people to Jesus. And obviously in the context of the church and the pastoring, that's my, that's my heart and that's where I'm at. So, so anyways, I'm rambling a little bit here, Alistair, but like separating your leadership principles from the current realities you find yourself in. That's really cool because uh, you and I spoke before uh, we turned on the mic and the crisis you're dealing with, I was on a team that used to deal with those crises for smaller churches. Mm -hmm. And we go in there and uh, it, it, I really appreciate the situation you're in because there's some people when they experience those crises, they've already hit the accept button. They're mm -hmm. moving on. Like mm -hmm. they're, they're licking their wounds. Okay, what's next? What can I do? And there's other people that are just starting the marathon and yeah. it's going to be a long marathon, mm -hmm. right? And I remember going into 
a couple smaller churches. There's a group of us. It just wasn't me. We all had different um, skill sets. And uh, not 100% sure what mine was, but <laughs> but uh, it might have been humor, but uh, those weren't really you know, stand-up <laughs> comedian uh, type events. But what I, what I really appreciated, and I think what the leaders that we went to talk to, like sometimes you walk in there and they're like, we're just reacting. We have, we have no idea what's next. We are exhausted. This is four days in and we are just, and these are people that don't get paid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these are volunteer mm-hmm. kind of people that are running the church. And, and so what I really like sometimes is that, you know, somebody comes in and just takes the heat for a little bit, has some conversations, gives you perspective and, and, you know, companies that are in, in crisis right now. And there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world, right? Uh, the economy, inflation stuff. And, I think, you know, what you said, you know, sometimes people sit there and they're just, they've got the, the blinders on and they're going like, I just need to deal with the next crisis. Mm-hmm. And they're not looking far mm-hmm. away. And sometimes it takes a little jolt. And one of the things I like being on that team is we would come in and be there for a couple of weeks on mm-hmm. and off and, and take the hit and give people the respite just to say, okay, where are we now? Yeah. Like, let's go look down there. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, what I find interesting about uh, the online nature mm-hmm. of, of the Meeting House is I'm working remote now for the yeah. first time in my life. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, if you'd asked me three years ago if I was going to work from home, I would say there's no way. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't feel comfortable with the people working for me, working from home. There's this whole trust thing. And now, like, I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Like, I want to. I want somewhere to go every once in a while to, to connect with people. And Absolutely. Especially the people that uh, I might work with. And, you know, we're looking at, we're here in Staples Studio on Dorval Crossing here. And, and, uh, from when we started coming in here till now, there's a lot more people going around. And they actually, uh, Greg and I are the podcast guys. They don't know our name. They just call us the <laughs> podcast guys. But I, I think, you know, you know you've had to transition into uh, a different model mm-hmm. and basically turned into a TV corporation. Yeah, a little bit. Right? And, and yet, which also provides some opportunities because mm-hmm. I know there's people far and wide mm-hmm. that are kind of part of your community and... Uh, you know, I don't know how, when things get back to normal, whatever normal is going to be, how that's going to factor in. But, you know, there's a lot of things from what you've been talking about that I think are transferable to another, a lot of organizations Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like there's people I've been working with for a year and a half that I have never met. Yep. Right. And, and, and two dimensional on a screen is not the same as sitting across from somebody and seeing their body language and their reactions and seeing them in 3d. So I, I think, you know, the stuff that you're going through, uh, a lot of organizations are going through. And, and that crisis piece, uh, I like that, that, you know, who do I want to be at the end mm-hmm. of the world? You know, where do we need to be? What are, what exactly are we here for? Yeah. And, and keeping that in mind as you deal with, you know, wave after wave yeah. of questions and, and body blows coming, yeah. you know, every couple of weeks or whatever. Seems that way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think this is something that really is transferable and, uh, it's something I've appreciated in some of the situations I've been in where you sit there and go, wow, these people, man, they, their eyes are open. Like, it's yeah. like, there's so much going on. There's so much information coming in and, and people, it's interesting how, how people, different people react in different situations mm-hmm. and you don't expect it from some people. And then there's other people who thought, oh, they're going to be really uptight about this and nice, cool and, and calm. Right. Totally. Well, and I think too, and I gotta be careful what I say here. Cause I, you know, this might be a generalization, but like you talk about leading through maybe a more challenging time or whatever circumstance you have. And there's, there might very well be good and valid reasons why you're leading the way you're leading. And everyone would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, our current crisis, like this is a small example, but my, my email inbox is like stacked. And I've just like, there were a few weeks there where I felt like I was just like drowning 
And I was. And every person would would understand if I'm like, I'm so sorry, I haven't got back to you. And so my point isn't about to be like, you know, just work to the bone. You want to have boundaries. But what I found myself reflecting on is the person from our community that has sent an email with a significant concern, they may have grace for me saying she's really busy, but they're still sitting there holding their concern or their wound. And what I hope for at the end of when we get through a challenging time is that there's a sense of presence, consistency, and steadiness. And again, I don't say that to say like, so as a leader, it's your job to like work 60 hours a day and get through everything just to keep everyone else appeased. But there's something to be said for that value, those values and say, well, how do I accomplish that then? So for the example, for us in our church, because it's been a season of like reaction after reaction, it feels like maybe the forward facing leadership that I need as the senior pastor hasn't been as present. And that's on me. And so part of that is, you know, what we've done is said, I want to film a video with me and my co- co-leader. I want to film a video that we email to the church because I think in this moment it's important that they see our faces and hear our voices. Are they going to remember everything we said? Probably not, but that's beside the point. If we hadn't done it, no one would have held us to it. But it's those little things that I think shift from like react, react, react to pulling us out. And we sometimes be get um, locked in by our own excuses or circumstance. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, what I've noticed in a, in a series of crises is, is you know, as you're looking forward to, okay, when we get out of this, because you have to deal with the fire going mm-hmm. on right now, but you also have to think, where, am I, where are we going to be in three months? Where are we going to mm-hmm. be in six months? And I, I think as a leader, as somebody that's had to deal with uh, a bunch of crises, you know, in my volunteer life, but also in my professional life, the, one, of the hard, one of the really hard lessons I had was... Um, it doesn't matter what I say because I'm, I'm saying something truthful. It's measured. I can only tell them what I can tell them. Yep. What I give people is never going to satisfy everybody. And, and there's, there's a bunch of things that I can't talk about because it's private. It's confidential. You're protecting people mm-hmm. for the right reason. And, and there, there's just times when I found I've had to take a hit. And it's like, you're not telling us everything. And I go, you're, you're, right. you're absolutely right. I'm not. And there's other there's privacy. There's a bunch of other factors in here, but what I'm telling you is what I can tell you. And, uh, you know, I'm asking you for understanding and I know that, you know, half the people aren't happy with the level of information they're getting or the actions that are taking. And that's why sometimes, you know, as a leader, um, I found there's, there's times when I've just had to say, okay, I understand. I'm just going to accept that a, a bunch of people aren't entirely happy with me, but I know that three months down the road, six months down the road, that all these efforts that we're doing, all the things that we're uh, putting into place to solve the problem, to protect the people, support the people that are involved, it, it, it's what we are as an organization. And you know, it's been it's been tough. Uh, I can appreciate the situation you're in. I think you're probably 10 times any situation mm-hmm. that I've been in. But I do appreciate, you know, talking about crisis and talking mm-hmm. about uh, our perspective on it. And, uh, you know, we, we just want to... Um, I love it when people are understanding that, listen, Alistair, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't 100% understand, but um, we're, we're here for you. Mm-hmm. It, you don't get that often, but mm-hmm. it's nice when it comes absolutely out, right? Absolutely it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask Greg for final comments, but that's <laughs> not going to happen. I hope you're feeling better, buddy. Greg's really being the absentee manager today, wouldn't you say there, Alistair? <laughs> He's usually not this quiet. <laughs> It's the two of us, bang, bang, bang. We can talk about nothing and it's like right. 60 minutes. There right? you go. You know, and I think we're at, you know, about 48 minutes okay. and we've covered a lot of ground, probably a lot more ground than Greg and I would have covered. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the, one of the things like we, we started this podcast because uh, I was going through something, he was starting a new business and it's that rich conversation where, you know, there's times when we just don't agree. We're mm-hmm. very different people. And, uh, but it's the conversation that's important. Absolutely. And if at the end of the day you go, okay, I appreciate your point. I disagree with you, but I understand where it's coming from and and intention and, and, uh, uh, it's just so important. So, um, I see our time is, uh, winding down here. Um, any final thoughts? Oh man. Such a big question. And you're a preacher going like, what am I doing? I'm giving her the stage. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I I have five hours on this micro card, so we're probably good. Um, oh, i you know, this is a tricky question because I feel like I could open a whole new can of con- content or more importantly, though, I think the things we've talked about really are at the essence of what leadership is. I find myself in a season of going back to that piece of knowing who I am and embracing the pieces of me. I used to like shirk away from the stuff I wasn't good at. And thought, that's not what people want to see. They want to see me thrive. They want to see me lean in and shine. And that's like true. We all want to do the thing we're really good at. But it really was the pieces that I wasn't good at yet that were holding me back in leadership and causing me to take shortcuts or leave things out and still maybe produce a good product, for lack of a better term. Uh, But the richness that comes when we're willing to do the work of coming to understand ourselves as much as we possibly can and uh, just just own the pieces of ourselves that still need work. Uh, often, particularly for leaders, I think uh, we get a lot of affirmation. We get a lot of, uh, you're good at this, so do this. Here's another opportunity because you're really good at this. And maybe sometimes what we need more of is the take some time to work on and you'll be surprised at the growth that can come when we have a more holistic perspective of what leadership is. So I don't know. I didn't even, that was not, I didn't intend for that to be my final thought, but that's what came out. I think that's what's important is the development of who we are and not taking for granted the leadership positions and the management positions we've been given to. By default, you might have a title, but you get to be the one to steward the depth and richness of what you do with the role you've been handed. I really like that. And that's why we only ever have an outline. We don't have anything yeah. written down because... <laughs> How we start in the beginning and what our final thoughts are, who knows, right? Right. And I think that's 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 really the money shot in the, in this type of uh, conversation is like it goes to wherever it goes. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's that's such you know if we could have every discussion like this where you know as you're talking you're working things through and they go you know what this is, this is important I've never mm-hmm. discussed this before. Yeah. Yeah. I think my final thoughts are I really like that uh, knowing yourself and kind of embracing yourself. I think we've all worked for or with people that have this big facade up and they want to be this certain type of person. And I don't get angry with that. At this stage in life, I feel bad for them because it's like, you know, you're really good at something and it's okay to say you're not good at something else or you don't have knowledge in that area. Totally. Because, you know, I've seen people around the table go, okay, we don't have anybody that knows how to do that. Oh, there's this person, they're, they're on our contract list. They know how to do it. Well, let's get them in here mm-hmm. and let's get it done. Get her it, done. Rather than, you know, kind of messing around and, and setting somebody up to fail on something. But I really like that self-awareness piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I was, in, I was in university for social work. And the first year was uh, we had to do a communications lab. And it's like, really? Really? But what a wonderful experience because you have to talk for an hour. Mm-hmm. And you know what? At the end of that hour, the truth's coming out. Yep. You know, yep. And it's a it's a pass and a fail, right? <laughs> but, at, you know, there's no way you can fake it. 
yeah. for that long, yeah. especially with all these other social work students oh, looking gosh. at you, right? And uh, that was my first lesson is, you know what? You just got to accept who you are, work on some stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to people, do they see the real, real you? Yeah. You know, it, it's, oh, it's Alistair all day, every day. Yeah. I mean, this is what it is, right? And and different, you know, I, I've had people sometimes say, uh, um, really? Yeah, this, you asked me if I know how to do this? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. You want me to go and do it and figure it out and grab some people and work this out? 100%. But I'm not going to say, yeah, sure, boss, mm-hmm. it's all worked out. Because it's not. I don't yeah. know how to do that. Yeah. I actually said that to a boss once. He said, I'd like you to look after this team. I said, I don't know anything about that. That's awesome. I've never been interested in that. There you go. We're going to hire some people for you. And you see, think of the experience then, like the richness of time saved. You were, you didn't have to like put up a facade for however long you would have felt you needed to put up a facade. It's better for everyone. I don't think at the end of the time with that team, I really understood what they did, but we, we made some good <laughs> hires though. That, that, that's, that's what it's all important. about. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate, um, you know, this conversation. Um, is there anything going on? Uh, this is the, you know, this is the point in, uh, Hot ones where you get to say this camera, that camera. I don't know if you've watched that. I have not. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. You've missed out on a whole Apparently. side of culture. Yeah. Okay. It's the best. So is there anything going on or anything you'd like to draw anybody's attention to uh, with you, with your, with uh, the meeting house or anything like that? Oh boy. Alistair. It's the plug time. <laughs> it is the plug time. It's the plug time. You know, um, I got to be transparent as we talk about the things we know about ourselves and the things we don't. The, the short answer is not really. Uh, <laughs> I have not written any books, people, if that's what you're hoping for here. <laughs> oh, I thought that was a, a, a that was the, the minimum for getting into this no, interview. I know. I, well, I lied earlier, got in, made up some fake titles about consistency on the title of a book cover or something. Um, yeah, I mean, the things going on currently in my world, like I said, as we navigate a unique situation as a church, our church is pretty forward facing. So obviously there's always an invitation to be engaging with what our church is involved in. I'm passionate about teaching and preaching and pointing people to Jesus, like I said. And there are ways to find out more about the Meeting House online, uh, engage, you know, I don't know if you have ways that you do contact information through your podcast, but that's my world. Those are the things that are currently going on for me. I'll put the website in uh, show notes. Perfect. That's great. And I will say, like, we hardly talked about humor, but that's always what's going on, right? I love, you know, if you can find me on those socials, send me whatever memes you can have. They're, like, giving me life these days, so... So I'm going to send you a, a link to YouTube to watch Hot Ones. Okay. Like, it's all about chicken wings. Per, oh, yes. I, I do know what you're talking about. Yes. Now that you say that. See, the I'm be- not as uncultured people as maybe Alistair made me out to be. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I think, the best interview series around because you torture people and they tell you everything, <laughs> right? I am very thankful that there are no spicy wings sitting in front of me as we oh, have this conversation. No. So, so the thing is, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about the Meeting House is it's forward thinking and uh, how accessible it is to everybody, but also things like the music are off the charts. Yeah. Like I know that there's been a number of people in the music groups uh, that, that perform there, perform there, serve there mm-hmm. is probably the better mm-hmm. word, uh, that are professional of one like, yes. like uh, Junos and stuff like that. And it, it, it's a really good uh, experience. Mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much for coming by and having this conversation. It was awesome. Uh, sorry, Greg. Um, he missed out, Greg. He did miss out. This he was did. a party. This was a party. <laughs> hey, Alistair, thank you for having me. It's honestly a privilege to just have a space to process and chat. So thanks. It's good to get to know you as well. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. I agree. So uh, in conclusion, we hope that uh, some of what we, we have spoken about you find helpful. We hope that you didn't find anything we spoke of offensive or made you angry because that's not what we're about. And now Greg has this philosophy, so I'm going to try to regurgitate it. 
uh, maybe that's not the right word either, uh, try to repeat it. So if, as we were speaking, there's something that resonated with you and you go, yeah, that, I struggle with that. I try that as well. Uh, or yes, that's something that I believe in too. And I find it to be successful. That's a good thing. But if we said something that maybe challenged you, that made you think about how you approach things, or maybe you just plain don't agree with anything that we've said today, that's not a bad place to be as well, because you need to think about it. Mm -hmm. And when somebody brings something up, especially when it's another conversation that you're not involved in, and it it maybe raises the heat a little bit, that's not a bad place to be, because that's a learning point as well. So whether it's an affirmation or a challenge, uh, these are all important in our development as people, as managers, as leaders. A big shout out, Greg loves these. And he's not here. And I always hide what it is. I almost forgot because he's not sitting here to remind me. But um, we like to do a shout out to a new place that we find is listening to the podcast. And uh, like I've said, folks, we're limited to 50 cities. So I've had to slice the data a little bit to try to get some of those places that maybe haven't listened to us as much because the top five or 10 are just off the charts. So uh, I split it this week and a city popped out, Hackney, United Kingdom, which I believe is part of London. I know. I hope I don't I don't uh, uh, say something that causes some friction between uh, football clubs over there or anything, but Hackney UK, welcome to the club. So thanks, folks, and we w- we're on a bit of a hiatus. Uh, we will be putting out some content over the summer, probably uh, half as much as we usually do. It depends on what we're doing. I think Greg is going away again at the end of this week or the end of next week, so I'm not sure if we're going to be uh, popping in again next week or not, but thank you very much for hanging out with us, and have a good day. Bye now.